But as we jump into Paradox today, let's look at a few different aspects of it. I'm going to kind of give you the punchline of the class right up front. Um, what we don't want is for you to leave and be thinking, oh, Paradox, well, that's just a cop-out. And a lot of people accuse Christians of, you know, we say there's this really hard thing that's going on. And there's a, a loving God who allows evil. That came up last class. And then I say, oh, well, it's a paradox. And, like, and they think it's like it's a cop-out answer. They're not really, like, they're going to basically say we're ignorant because we can't really figure it out. And what Richard Rohr says, actually, even on page 93, I put that in there. It's like, no, 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 no. This is endless knowability. We have forever to know this. And it's mystery. And it's a surrender. Fair enough? So I don't want you to think that. And so the key to navigating that is paradox is what we would call a seeming contradiction. Contradiction is just a contradiction, right? Paradox is where it looks like it contradicts, but actually it, it doesn't in this other way of thinking. It's this third perspective that allows for truth. I will go so far as to say that we need paradox. You really, it's hard to graduate Wheaton Academy as a Christian and not know what paradox is. I would, I, I would lean into paradox is maybe even a backbone or a core understanding of the faith. Got it? For Chesterton, it was the key that unlocked Christianity for him. He was standing on the riverside like, ah, there's just too much here. I can't jump in. Paradox allows for him to jump in. And so... With paradox, you have two things that are true, but they're in tension. The key to paradox is if you resolve, uh, try to resolve that tension, here's the key. You lose the truth. It's biblically true, biblically true. It's a worldview truth that you're holding out here and out here. And if I let go of one, no more truth. So I need what? You need both. You need both. Lion and lamb, predestination, free will, grace works, complex God, unknowable God. We need what? We need both of those things. So there's some tension here where if we try to resolve the tension, we lose the truth. I would say that most of your frustrations with God, if you have any, boil down to paradox. Most heresies, paradox. Most church splits paradox right for me my door to Christianity was grace not really paradox for some of you it'll be paradox actually what I'm offering you in many respects is what how I see paradox paradox allows me to just keep doing the Christian journey it lets me find freedom and hope on the journey it allows me to keep moving forward. I hope that some of you will walk out the door today or tomorrow if it takes that. It feels like you're getting a new car or a new phone or a new jacket. You're getting something that you can carry with you on the journey that's really useful. Fair enough? Okay, that's my intro spiel. Let's jump in. We got a shortened time here, so we'll kind of just go right at it. If you have your book, grab that. If you don't, go to page 93 of the guidebook to turn a page back. And I put some quotes from Chesterton in there. 
that are some key quotes to the chapter. But let's just jump in. That uh, In the chapter, Chesterton sets it up. Is uh, He kind of bifurcates the chapter. The first half is talking about how frustrated he is with paradox. This, there's a pivot and a transition. Then the second half is like, woohoo, paradox, right? Um, does anybody have any thoughts or questions from Orthodoxy Chapter 6? Cool quotes? Comment? Might as well open it up for a little bit. we got enough time to open it up. Yeah, what do you got? Uh, I think my favorite quote from the chapter is uh, it's on page 63. Yeah, time. good. Um, it says, uh, it, is only, it is my only purpose in this chapter to point this out, to show that whenever we feel there's something odd in Christian theology, we shall generally find that there's something odd in the truth. <laughs> so good. Right? Mm -hmm. So good. I love that whole like the it's almost rational but it's a little like it's ir, it's almost regular but irregular like we're almost there there's something odd mm -hmm. so that means it's true versus not true so good other thoughts or cool quotes that you found or bumped into or questions that's okay it's a complex chapter but a lot of good stuff I love the one with the illogicality where you've got two ears, two eyes, two nostrils, two arms, one heart off to the side, irregularly shaped. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? <laughs> that, wait, what? <laughs> like, here's the key, you guys. It's not that we invented paradox. It's that when you have your world, when you look at the world, it's filled with what? Paradox. paradox. That's the key here. It's not like we need to create paradox to understand reality. Reality is a paradox. Uh, okay, well, we'll keep going. <laughs> All right, let's keep going then on the actual journey here that he goes on. He's trying to figure out if he could trust Christianity, and he's bumping into a lot of things that say no. Pessimism and optimism. We're all a bunch of sinners. Is that true? Paul's like, I'm the worst of sinners. And then he says, to the saints at Ephesus. <laughs> so we're all what? saints. God should despise us in our sin, but he what? Totally adores us and dies for us. What the heck, right? <laughs> Jesus is making whips and flipping over tables. He's like, oh yeah, let the kids come. And you're like, uh, really? Should I? Yeah? Give everything away to the poor. Seek the kingdom and you'll get it all. What? <laughs> Are we tracking here? So Chesterton's a little frustrated, maybe even confused. He gets to page 66, where he's talking about the pessimism and optimism. And then he talks about these different riddles. And he talks about violent Christians and then compassionate, kind Christians. He says, this began to be alarming, page 68, in the middle. It looked not so much as if Christianity was bad enough to include any vices, but rather if any stick was good enough to beat it with. Right At the bottom of 69, the only explanation which immediately occurred to my mind was that Christianity did not come from heaven, but from hell. Ah! <laughs> what are we going to do with that, right? Like, and then he gets the pivot and the turning point. But before we get there, here's an important lesson. This might be for some of you the takeaway. It was fun. I got to do this talk with the faculty about two weeks ago bantering back and forth with Burek and 
Lehman and McCallum and it was just super fun. And we got to this point of it. There are people, critics of Christianity, who are going to say we're sexual prudes. Right? You're allowed one person after marriage and that's it. They're like, that is like crazy. How could you do that? It's not even possible. Right? Uh, I love that. During homecoming week, that dude talked about sex, sexuality on Friday of homecoming. I'm like, yeah! I was like, crazy. He cracked me up. I remember I was in the back and all the faculty were like, what is he doing? I'm like, Right, and you've got people over here about Christianity like, you guys are off the map here. I mean, did you read Song of Solomon? They say breast, like, holy cow! There's naked people running around in a garden at the beginning. You guys are just, you know, crazy. So, which are we? Are we prudes or are we crazy? Right? There'll be people like, you give ten percent of your money you guys are crazy 10 percent that's so much and then there's people who are like seriously 10 percent. that's it like give 10 percent of your pizza to a poor person that's like a crust how can you only get do you see what so which one right are we are we now are we sensing like chesterton's like what the heck yeah Sure. Well, how much should we give to God? Ten percent. We should give what? All of it. All of it. Right, so there you yeah. go. Let's just let's just go there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if we're gonna share, if we at least just share with the poor, that would be what? In kindergarten, you learned about sharing. What do you do? Half. Two pizzas of pizza, you give one, right? So we could go. We could we could run down that as long as we wanted to. We'll, we'll stay here though for right now. <laughs> we'll get there later. Right, but like, I want to, some of you need to do this. Ready? Go for it. Go on. Cover your ears. Because when you get off to college, there's going to be people talking about Christianity. They're going to say all this crazy stuff, and they're going to be doing this and that. And what are you going to have to do at some point with some of your professors and some of the things that you're reading and some of the articles about Christianity? What do you have to do? Oh, wait. Sorry. Right. Okay. What, what do you... Chesterton was going nuts. He's trying to figure out Christianity by listening to all the critics, and how is that going? He had to, like, close his ears, right? Because it'd be like someone coming up to Shauna and saying, wow, she is really short. Are there people at Wheat Academy who can say that she's short? What, are there? Yeah. yeah. Are there people who would say that she's tall? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are. Did we learn anything about Shauna? No, we learned about who? The, what the people are saying. We could say her hair is kind of dark. <laughs> Are there people who would say it's really light? Yeah. This is one of like the key takeaways of today even. Often the critics of Christianity don't teach you anything about Christianity. They teach you about who? Themselves. It's one of my favorite lessons in Shakespeare class. Shakespeare right there. The characters often tell you more about themselves than who they're talking about with what they say. For some of you, you really need to sit on that. Because you've had a lot of people say things about you. They're not saying anything about you. They're talking about who? Themselves. Because the tall people will call her short. Short people will tell her, call her tall. And the really generous people will say that we're stingy. And the real stingy people will say that we're what? 
Now, can you just plug your ears, though, the rest of your life? No, that doesn't work either because you'll miss out on truth. That's where the whole trustless thing comes. But if you're going to try and figure out Christianity by listening to everybody who talks about it, you'll go nuts. You'll get confused, just to be really blunt. Chesterton did. So then he got to this place where he realized, huh, page 70, perhaps this extraordinary thing is really the ordinary thing, at least the normal thing, the center. Perhaps, after all, it is Christianity that is sane and all the critics that are mad. <laughs> I was like, yeah, what a great quote. But then Chesterton picks up scripture and he looks at Jesus. He's like, fine, I won't listen to the critics. I'll read the thing itself. But what does he find in scripture with Jesus? <laughs> He's flipping over tables and helping little kids out. Right? He's ripping the Pharisees and Sadducees new ones. And he's protecting a woman from getting rocks thrown on her. He's telling you to be super generous, but then telling you you're going to get everything. He's telling you to die, to live. And Cheshire's like, what the heck? The paradoxes are here too. These contradictions are here too, but are they really contradictions? No. So I got about 15 minutes left in class. Are we ready to go for it? So we get the context of this whole lesson. Yes? We ready? Everybody go to page 72. If you have this, if you don't have this, it's right there on page 93 where he talks about courage. Now, I liked, I highlighted the entire page, by the way. <laughs> it's a good one. All right. Um, I like that he uses courage because is courage just some little Christianity thing? This is a human virtue. Who likes courageous people? Who wants to be courageous? How long has that been going on? All of humanity, we celebrate and honor, ready, real courage. But to get real courage, it takes two things that are in opposition. Chesterton is writing from the wars that he's had to navigate, right? Hi. How are you? Hi. A fuzzy blanket there. Thanks for the pass. All right. So ready? Courage. In order to have real courage... Do you have to be willing to die? Yes or no? You have, if you otherwise, like if you're, in a, if you're in a trench and the bad guys are shooting at you and you want to like help save the good guys, you got to get out of the trench potentially, get up there and have some courage. You might what? So you have to be willing to die. But to have real courage, do you, you have to want to still stay alive, right? You have to love your life. You have to love life. Well, wait a second. What if you only love life? Will you? Yeah. Then you're a coward because you won't be willing to what? Die. Like, I love my wife. She's gorgeous and intelligent. I love my kids. I like my job. I like you guys. If I'm in that trench, do I want to just go die? No, I want to stay alive. So the more I love my life, if I'm willing to die and give that up, now do you see what happens? We get what? We get courage. Let's say I don't love my life at all. I hate my life. My life sucks. My job sucks. My family's a wreck. I'd actually rather be dead. I'll go. Now, be really honest. Do we call that person courageous? No, we really don't. People who really think it through, that's not courage. They want to die. We have other words for that, right? That's the difference between someone who's a martyr and someone who's either just ignorant or suicidal. 
We honor and celebrate martyrs because the people who live in these dangerous zones on planet Earth, do they still want to stay alive? Yeah, that's why they're there. They want to change life in that place. But are they just idiots because they don't leave? No, it's really sad when people say, oh, they're just idiots. They should just leave. No, you're missing the whole point. They're willing to die because they want to live and stay there. Got it? That makes them a martyr. You need what? Both. If you water down one or the other, you lose the what? The courage. See, that's the key. So I don't know if you guys caught this, the tension. Death and life, these are basically opposites. Willing to die and loving your life? We get real courage. Look at Paul the Apostle. Watch what happens when you extend these out even further. The more you love life, to live is Christ. Does Paul want to stay alive? Is he on a mission from God? Yes. To die is what? <laughs> to die is gain. You read that sentence objectively, you think he's almost suicidal. Like, he almost wants to die. Because dying is what? Better. I get to go to heaven. But to live is what? That's why he's willing to be beaten and shipwrecked and whipped 147 times or whatever. And like you imagine seeing Paul, the apostle, become a Christian. And you're like, okay, dude. Right? He must have been like, wooed, like all these scars all over. He loves life. He has no problem with death. Look what happens to the curse. You guys see now what happens. Like we actually have someone who's maybe one of the most courageous people, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego love their life, willing to die. Courage. Jesus, take this cup from me. I love my disciples. Not my will, but thine be done. Courage. Yeah. Imagine if we could all live in that. We love living. We love heaven, but we also love life. But none of us in this room were scared to die. What would happen? Courage. Yeah? Go team. Yeah, I mean, you have to love the life part because you have to want to stay here. All right. Let's uh, go to page 94. We got about 12 minutes. I'm going to bounce around in the front of the room here for a little bit. Let's see if we can wrap our brains around this a little bit further to see if we can catch some of these truths. What do you guys want to do? Which ones are intriguing to you? Where's the most tension in your life or at your church? Who's got one? Yeah, what do you got? Uh, the free will. God ah, that's, that's one of my favorites, right? Because see, here's the key where you'll really see it. So when people come up to me and they're like, Mr. D, Mr. D, are you Calvinist or Arminian? And guess what I say? Yes. Because I'm what? Is there predestination in the Bible? Yeah. Is there free will in the Bible? Yeah. Are they both true? Yeah. yeah. Is, okay, ready? Is God, has God ordained everything? Yes. Is God in control? Yes. How much so? Oh. You guys water that down. Say that God's not in control. You want to hang out with Zeus forever? <laughs> like, you guys, all of your days have been written ahead of time. The book's already been done. Like, it's already what? How much is God in control? <laughs> Complete control. Hey, uh, does God control you? No. No, like, does he control you? No. Do you have free will? Yeah. Do you have so much free will that you can, like, give God the finger and walk away from God? Yeah. 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 That, that's 
already written. Like, like since God knows the future, that means there's already a set future. Well, wait, but so then, so then is God making those choices for you? Just because God knows what's going to happen doesn't mean. But see, see, the middle is: is he is God making your choices for you? No. No, because if He was, what worldview would be we be in? Materialism. Or monism, right? If God's making all of your choices and you're not making any of them, then you might as well be a monist. So the future's already written, but you kind of already wrote it. Well, will we be able to figure this out? No. 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 See, if you try to resolve it. You'll lose the truth. Now, is there understanding available? Yes, if you start looking at it this way. But how about, let me do one more thing, and then we'll go here and here. Okay, one more thing. Real quick, if we water down God being ordained, and we're calling all the shots, and God's not in control, we are in control? Well, what does that do? Yeah, we become God. That's materialism, really. It's all cause and effect. Like, we're making all the choices, and God's not. We don't need God. Does that work? No. So do we need a God who's in complete control? Yes. Do we have to be able to make real choices? Yes. yes and yes. Now, you had a hand up, and then you had a hand up. But I wanted to see the tension here. Yeah, go for it. Um, so I was wondering if God created us, he created us in a way that we would make the choices we would make. Like, we would. Well, then we're computers. They're, then is it real choice? If you don't have a real choice, then there's no you. You don't exist, actually. Then it's God pre-programming everything, and God did it. But didn't he basically do that? No. Do you make real choices? I mean, I would think so. If you don't, then welcome to monism. Like, for real. Like, that's why we have to do this in a worldview class. Because if you're not making a real choice, and God is doing it for you or pre-programmed you, then it's whose choice? God's choice. It's not you. There's no blame, no culpability, and no you. <laughs> it's a big deal, isn't it? So do we need free will? Otherwise, you don't exist. It's only God. Now, he had his hand up, and then we'll go here. Yeah. For this, I always like to use the analogy of, like, if you can have, like, a parent who knows that their kid is going to go out for the weekend and party or whatever, but they didn't make them party, but they can still plan around that, and, like, they, they know can that that's going to happen. So, like... Just because you know something is going to happen doesn't mean that you made it happen. Yeah, it's it's culpability. Yeah. It's it's cause causation. We'll get there in Mere Christianity Book Two. Don't worry, we got a whole two days on this. <laughs> We've got to talk about free will, and we'll get there. But do you see the paradox of it? If you resolve it, you lose what? The truth. <laughs> But here's what we got to do real quick. Like, this is why we're doing this in this class. Is he in control? Yes. Do we have free will? Yes. There it is. See, now, that's the key. If we resolve it, we lose the truth. But by holding it, we, we have a God who's in control, and we have real beings who make real choices. But imagine having God not in control. That sounds horrifying. And imagine not making any real choices. There's no more you. So we have to, that's the beauty of this is like, if we don't, aren't willing to live in the tension of that, we lose the truth of it. And you can ad adopt a different worldview if you want, but that's the whole point right now in class. What was that? Yeah, go ahead. It's more like we, we don't 
I know, right? So we, so we kind of know how they, how they works, but actually they are making the decisions. Well, they are, but are they? It's all based off of what? Pre-programmed options. So it's like they are making decisions, so we actually plug the program That would be called artificial intelligence versus a computer that actually does what? Makes its own decisions. Right? <laughs> Yeah. But they like desire or to get babies. Yeah. But he also let you know that there's heaven. Yeah. And humans can eliminate the desire to go to heaven, which makes the worship actually not pure. Yeah. In a way. Let's do that one. That's one of my favorite ones. Ready? If we're talking about heaven and hell, grace and works. How are you saved? So how much have you done? How many works, right, Lewis? How many works do you have to do to get to heaven? Hey, hold out your hands. Come on, ready? And say, and say. What do you have to do? Some theologians would go so far as that you are being saved. <laughs> like, you're not doing what? It is a gift. I'm grace guy. I will take that all the way up to the wall here in about a month. You are saved as a gift, right? Free gift. How many works, here we go, how many works should you do for God? I used the word should. All of them. <laughs> All of them. Your life should be a living sacrifice. Seriously, you're going to give half cheek to God? <laughs> what do he do for you? Gives you life, dies for you, saves you, forgives you, takes all your punishment for you, and you're going to do what? You're not going to give him everything? Oh, by the way, how much do you have to do? Teresa, how much do you have to do? Nothing. How much should you do? Oh, I love that. Isn't that so fun? Now watch what happens. The more, right, Lewis is right on that. The more you know that you don't have to do anything, the more you lean into that, what ends up happening over here? The more you probably want to do, because you know you don't have to do it. Or if you do something, Watch what happens. By understanding real grace, your motivation is allowed to be something other than fear of hell. Because ready? Water down the grace, and what happens to your motivation now? You're doing it. Why? Because you what? You're fearful and you have to. Water down giving everything for God. Go for it. Yeah, you want to be that chump? <laughs> Who doesn't? I mean, we're talking about God. You're not going to give him everything? Okay, go ahead. But do you guys see what happens in churches? Are there churches that just hang out over here in grace world and forget to work their butts off for Jesus? Yeah, they just like, we don't have to do anything, whatever. Are there churches? A lot of them around here. You better do your devos and you better go to church and you better do all this stuff. You got to work for God and they forget to tell you what? You don't have to do any of it. Are those, do those exist? Yeah, both are unhappy. See, unhealthy and unhappy, right? Watch what happens when you have a church that balances those out beautifully. They know they don't have to do anything for God, and they're all working their butts off for Jesus. Those actually, if you've ever been to one of those churches, that's where I found the most hope 
and the most joy and the most freedom and honestly the most love. Right? Because they're giving everything to God because they know that they're loved by God and saved by God. So they don't have to do any of it. They don't have to get up and go serve at church. They don't have to do their devos. They're doing it because they what? I love the grace and works one because the truth of that one is the one truth that most other religions are missing. Lewis nailed it right there. Pretty much every other religion has some fear in it. Because if you don't do the stuff, you're what? You're in trouble, you're punished, you're going to hell, you're outcast. Right? How are we doing? I can just run back and forth all day, right? Like, see what happens now when these paradoxes. Now, I know the bell will probably ring on me, but just let me give you something real quick. Chesterton liked these because they were satisfying. Ready? Let's do the Buddhist paradox. I'm not bashing Buddhism. Ready? If you make it and you become one with the one, what happens to you? You cease to exist. Ready? You aren't perfect and you don't make it. What happens to you? Isn't the idea of like reincarnation that if you don't make it, you keep going until you do? And will you ever make it? No. Well, maybe. But isn't that the point? That uh, you, you can eventually make it. Okay. Try. That's why they invented reincarnation to hope that. But ready? Here's the other paradox of reincarnation. Will you come back? No. It's not you. <laughs> right? Materialism. Paradox. Ready? Do you have any free will? No. But does it feel like you have free will? But do you have any free will? But do you feel like you're making choices? You see, it's not like Christians are the only one with paradox. Everybody lives with paradox. It's just Chesterton found that these uh, Christian ones were satisfying. They were life-giving. They provided hope and, and encouragement. See you guys. Have a great day. Have a nice paradoxical, mysterious day. Enjoy God being in control of everything, but you making real choices. Hey, thanks. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand the thing, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's why we're here. We're just getting started on that one. When we get, there's a, at about, C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, book two, a whole thing on free will. It's that whole chapter where he talks a little bit about the parent and the child. Because I always imagine Christianity has to exist. Or could it exist? Heaven is never indicated. Oh, yeah. No, we need both. We need both for Christianity. There's lots of other religions available. But see, I like the heaven existing, but also the choice to do it. And the more we know that we're accepted, the freer we are to give. It's just this beautiful dance. A lot of the theologians call it a dance. Uh, there are tissues. Wait, there's right behind you. Thanks, dude. Take care. Nice job today. How we all doing? <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? And the beauty of it is that if you leave, like, but, but, let, then you got it. Because he, like, he were trying to solve it. You can't solve it. You have to live inside of it. But there's a freedom of living inside of it, right? Because you know intuitively that they both need to be true, or we lose truth. We lose something. Thank you for, my mom told me one time that she went to church and she was like, I'm going to 
I love that. That's what you were getting at. Is you were getting at like Let me up can I give you guys the maybe the best metaphor for it? I didn't do it in class. I usually save it for later. But ready? For Lord of the Rings, does Frodo in the story choose to take the ring at Rivendell? But who chose Frodo to take the ring? Tolkien. <laughs> well here's the reason it falls apart at this it falls apart at this because well Frodo's not real Tolkien is but how about this what if Frodo could talk to Tolkien see how we, we're in a story but does that make sense like we're in a story with an author who's writing the whole story, you don't have to talk to the author, <laughs> but you can. You can talk to the author. Here's the key. You don't have to think it. And I bless you with that. But remember, what do we lose if we lose free will? You lose. You lose yourself. There's no yeah. more you. That's okay. just not worth that. Yeah. No, it isn't. But it just logically. Yeah. Seems logically, it's not. We're we're like we're not. It's logic. not illogical. We're we're what? We're Past logic, we're beyond logic. No, but I like logic. Well, so do I. Logic's awesome. <laughs> so does Chesterton and Lewis. We all like logic. It's just the world's ready. Yeah. Logic. Here's the way that I found freedom from that one. Logic was created. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> that's, that's how logic isn't God. God made logic. God's bigger than logic. Like logic. So do I. Like so does God. Because, like, see, like, there's something that we can't understand. Like, he is in control, but. I mean, we're, you know, the farther you go into that, the freer it's going to be, just like, let him be God. This is what Lewis and Chesterton very specifically said. When I get to these places, guess what it proves? I'm not God. <laughs> like, for them, it actually proves that there has to be a God, because I can't figure him out, yeah. and I'm not God. Yeah, which actually is real freedom, right? But frustrating. And that's the key, is that we have to admit that we're not God. A lot of people Go team. You guys are awesome. We got to get down to chapel. It's Mr. Regan today. Don't want to miss him. I know, right? So, oh, I'm excited. Yeah, super fun. Nice job, though. You guys really did great today. Thank you. See ya.